For God so loved the world. I feel like I need to ask forgiveness right away for the traditionalists among us for changing the order of the lighting of the Advent candles. Yes, I know, usually the third Sunday, even Tom knew this, <laughs> he says, even I knew that. We usually light the pink candle, right? This is Joy Sunday, Godette or Godette Sunday. Um, but if you want to blame someone, blame Matt Rawl, the guy that wrote the book that we're using. Um, and the other thing I would challenge us to consider is that traditions are tools, right? They're tools that help us approach and experience God. And so they're meant to be adaptable, right? If we lift our traditions above the meaning, right, then they lose all their meaning. They lose their true purpose, which is to bring us closer to God. So like it or not, today we're talking about love. <laughs> so this Sunday we're invited to pause and ponder the wonder of God's love. Our lovable, well, I guess the Grinch really isn't quite lovable, but maybe a relatable friend, right? The Grinch brings us another Christmas lesson this week. We've mentioned his story of how he tried to steal Christmas, that he took the presents and the decorations and the food, that he took everything he could find that reminded him of Christmas. But did you ever notice that there weren't any Christian trappings of the holiday in the Who's homes. I went back through the book. I bought myself a reprint of the original 1957 book. I looked through. There isn't a single crush to be found. There were a few symbols that Christians have adapted to be signs of Christmas over the years, but actually started as pagan symbols, uh, like our evergreen tree and our wreaths. The Who's Village had all the trappings of a Christmas movie, like we talked about last week, but the village had no signs of the heart of the Christmas story. It was really just a bunch of stuff. It was pretty, but it was stuff. Matt Rawl writes, we almost seemed hardwired to collect things, whether they be souvenirs marking fond memories or items in the workshop you just know you're going to use one day. I don't know about you, but Dan and I, well, I, Dan, not so much, but me, I am a collector of things. And our fridge, yeah, he's nodding. <laughs> our fridge is covered with magnets from every place we've been. That's the thing that we do. We buy a magnet. But before I started to tamp down on my collecting habits, I would buy all kinds of things. I would buy pins and bookmarks and um, art, and uh, I collect teapots. Um, I'd love anyone to see my teapots, but now I don't buy a teapot unless there's a story to go with it, 
right? So now I'm, I'm starting to work down my, my collections. But did you know that there's something like 2.3 billion square feet of rentable self-storage space in the United States? Which means we have so much stuff, we don't have room for it. Did you notice the one that's almost ready to open in Manchester? Brand spanking new. So you can add a few thousand more square feet to that average, right? And yet, the one we follow, Jesus our Christ, lived a life of simplicity. He taught his followers and us that we're not supposed to worry about what we're going to wear. Oh gosh, I do that every single day. What we will eat, because God will provide. He taught us, Jesus taught us to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. We shouldn't need a uh, self-storage space down here. We need one up there waiting for us, right? He taught us that if we save the things down here, then those are just things that rust and moths can destroy and a thief can steal away. Do you see where I'm going with this? The Grinch is like the thief in Jesus' parable. And when the stuff is gone, when it's out of our way, when, it, when we remove it between us and God, between us and Christ, that's when we find the true value of our relationship with God, the true value of Christmas. Because the missing stuff did not stop Christmas from coming. Now, that doesn't mean that the stuff, like our traditions, it is wonderful to walk into a beautiful sanctuary that has been lovingly decorated. It doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't play a role in experiencing the true treasure. We just need to make sure that we don't elevate them above the value or the status of the treasure itself. Do you notice that we, did you notice that we didn't put wreaths on the windows this year? Does it really matter? Is Christmas going to come anyway? When the wise men came to give gifts to the Christ child, those gifts served two primary purposes. First of all, they were practical gifts for the Holy Family, gifts appropriate for royalty and priesthood. There are traditions that suggest that Joseph and Mary used the gold to fund their escape to Egypt when Herod came after the children of Judea. Frankincense was a valuable fragrance used in the temple, believed to be the sweetest scent to God. Second, the gifts unapologetically pointed to his death, like the myrrh, which was used to prepare bodies for the grave. Again, a costly gift, but also a representation of, that the wise men had a deep understanding 
of what the Messiah would later sacrifice for us out of love, his very life. Which causes us to wonder, why do we give gifts this time of year? I um, once led a Bible study using uh, Mike Slaughter's book, Shiny Gods. And in it, he says, why do we, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, why do we give presents to each other? It's not our birthday. Good point. (laughs) Are the gifts we give a means of thanksgiving? Is there meaning behind what we give or what we do? The gifts we wrap and place under the tree, do they have more to do with our own affluence and our need to be accepted and desired and the best Grammy you ever had? When the Grinch takes the Who's presents and food and decorations, he's not motivated by greed because remember, what does he want to do with those things? Throw them off the cliff. cliff. He's just going to destroy them. They don't mean anything to him. He doesn't have a personal problem with hoarding earthly treasure. But within the story, his actions do call attention to the temporary nature of of earthly things. He is the thief who breaks in to steal. Had the Who's placed their trust and hung their whole Christmas celebration on those things, then Christmas would indeed have been stopped from coming. But as they sing on Christmas morning, surprising the Grinch on the top of the mountain, They demonstrate the value of heavenly treasure, which no thief can take away and no earthly threats can destroy. There's something else startling in this moment of the Grinch's story, the way he stops and waits on the mountaintop, a momentary pause in his, quote, wonderful, awful idea It's like the stereotypical villain in a hero's story, you know, where they give away, you know, they've got the hero trapped and they give away the rest of their plans and then the hero sure enough breaks free and stops it and whatever, right? Just before they press the big red button to destroy the world and he gives you all the details, the Grinch's own sureness of his success leads to his failure, to erase those signs of Christmas? Or could it be that somewhere deep down in his small heart, he's unknowingly looking for a reason not to follow through? Have you ever done that? Have you ever waited? Oh, please give me a reason not to do this. I really don't want to do it. Could he be waiting for divine intervention? Certainly divine intervention is intricately woven into this season of Advent, a silent waiting for a miracle to happen again. We pause and ponder the mystery that is about to take place. We take the time 
to reconsider or maybe weigh for the first time the magnitude of what it means for God to take on flesh and become vulnerable in our selfish and power-hungry world? Could it be that God is at work even in the Grinches in our own lives, even in the Grinch within each of us? Isn't that why the Grinch is really so relatable? Because there's a little bit within each of us. Maybe this is what Paul is encouraging us to consider in his letter to the church of Ephesus. I pray that you might have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. I say that at every funeral, right? May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding fill you with the fullness of God. Advent invites us to pause and ponder on the great love of God which entered this world, not to condemn us, but to save us from ourselves. Advent invites us to pause and ponder with Mary How can this be? What does it all mean? We pause and ponder with John at the beauty of God's light come down from heaven. We pause and ponder with the shepherds at the wonder of the angel choir. We pause and ponder with the wise men at the bright star in the east. Love doesn't mean that everything will work out the way that we plan. Love doesn't mean that there won't be suffering or hardship. We're not guaranteed the good life. But love never tires of making sure that we are valued, that we know that we are precious and that we are God's own. Peace helps us build a framework so that we have a holy imagination to hope for a better future, but love is disarming. Love is dismantling. Love believes all things and bears all things. Love never ends because nothing is impossible with God. Pause and ponder on that for a while. Amen.